You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 18 of Ask Concussion Doc. We have a uh, we have two submitted questions, and then we have a question that we did yesterday for our trivia day. Uh, we had a lot of variability in the answers that were provided, so we figured that it would be a good chance for us to explain what the answer is and where it came from. The uh, then we have two questions again from TZA Broda. He's been sending in a ton of questions, and uh, I think the rest of you guys need to step it up. Send us in some more questions so we can answer them. And uh, so they're going to talk about um, glass chin, and that's a phenomenon that's discussed in boxing where people tend to get knocked out easier, um, usually happens as a, a career gets prolonged. Um, and then we're going to talk about multiple concussions and what changes in the brain make somebody more susceptible to sustaining you know, concussions once they've had a few concussions over their lifetime. So the first thing we're going to discuss is the Trivia Tuesday from yesterday. The question was, what variable was found to be associated with prolonged concussion recovery? And the answer was a higher symptom severity score. So the right answer was, what was it, B? The, I think the right answer was B, which is a higher symptom severity score. And this comes from recent research that came out before the Berlin Consensus Statement, uh, which was done in uh, October, November-ish of 2016. paper was published in 2017. Uh, and looking at predictive variables, and so, I mean, back in the day, they used to say, well, if you were knocked unconscious, if you had post-traumatic amnesia of a certain duration, um, all of these, you know, signs and symptoms, or, or I guess more signs, that made your concussion more severe. And when they looked back at that and they looked at all the research around that, they found that those things actually weren't predictive of recovery time. So the fact that you had been rendered unconscious or the fact that you had post-traumatic amnesia or the fact that, you know, whatever other, you know, signs and symptoms they attributed to having, um, you know, resulting in a prolonged recovery they found actually didn't hold true. So, and now the only predictive or the most predictive variable for concussion severity and potentially length of time for concussion recovery is the symptom severity score on your initial uh, assessment. So after the injury, if you have a high symptom severity score, it's likely that your concussion recovery may take longer than if you had a lower symptom severity score. Now, the caveat to that is that they've also found that people that have poor coping skills, people that have higher anxiety, tend to have higher symptom severity scores on initial presentation. And they've also found that people with poor coping skills, people with anxiety, also tend to have a prolonged recovery. So now the question because becomes, just because they have a high symptom severity score, does that mean that the injury itself is actually more severe or does that mean that potentially this individual is higher 
in terms of their anxiety levels. And that's why they have a high symptom score. That's why they're going to take longer to recover. Or maybe they have poor coping skills um, and that's why they have a high symptom score. That's why they're going to take longer to recover. So we don't know if a high symptom score actually means a more severe recovery. All we know is that there is a correlation between high symptom severity score on initial presentation and the length of time it takes someone to recover. Now one of the things that we're counteracting this with is trying to provide a lot of education for patients if they come in and have a high symptom severity score. It's trying to educate the patient on this is what a concussion is, this is the expected trajectory for recovery, these are the things that can be done to potentially improve that recovery for you, etc, 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 thereby hopefully reducing the anxiety, uh, improving the coping capabilities, and therefore improving the recovery. Um, we don't know if that's actually working yet, but that's our goal. So the answer was B, high symptom severity score is the most predictive variable for prolonged concussion recovery at this time. TZA Broda coming in with the wicked questions. So I hear about the glass chin in boxing and martial arts. Are they more susceptible to concussions perhaps due to their genetics? Uh, is there any conclusive research about what specific factors might make someone more susceptible to concussion? Uh, the answer is, in short, we don't know. Like everything with concussion, we don't fully know, and so I wouldn't say that there is conclusive evidence on any of this stuff. But one of the theories, and this actually ties into the next question, talking about multiple concussions and making the brain more susceptible to the injuries. But the way that Okay, well let's let's start here. One thing we do know is that if somebody is recovering from a concussion and they get a second concussion, that second concussion can actually um, it, it it happens easier, so it happens potentially with less force, but it also then takes that patient longer and longer and longer to recover with each subsequent concussion that happens within the recovery time zone. So, I don't know if you can see this, I don't know if I should draw it out, but basically you get the concussion, it causes an electrical storm, uh, hyperactivation of brain tissue, which then over time causes the energy in ATP stores to drop. And then over time they gradually restore back up to baseline or back up to normal. Now that full recovery period is about three to six weeks-ish based on the research that's been done. Now, we know that during that trough, when that energy level is low, you're more susceptible to that injury. And we're not really sure why. There's some indication that maybe it's a blood flow impairment where you're already having a reduced blood flow to the brain and then getting another hit might reduce that even further and that causes the injury to happen quicker or easier. Um, whether or not it's just a lower threshold for injury because there's some you know microstructural damage that's happened within the, the brain tissue already which makes it more susceptible to having that injury uh, whether or not it's having that low energy state so that any you know small impact maybe small impacts are reducing the energy just slightly but because you're already in a low state you know maybe you get hit and that reduces that energy enough to create you know another onset of symptoms what we do know though is that in that trough, if you're to get hit down in your low point, 
then your energy levels drop even further. And so some of the studies have been done in animals have found that if you give an animal a concussion, uh, let's use rats for example because that's usually what they do. If you give a rat a concussion, the recovery time for the rat to hit its peak low and come all the way back up in terms of its energy is five days. So uh, researchers have found that if you wait the full five day recovery and you hit that rat again with the same amount of force and cause another concussion, those two concussions don't add up, meaning that they just go through the same five-day recovery process. Their energy levels are the same as if they were just hit once. So if you have a full recovery, you fully recover from that recovery from an energy standpoint and you get another one, there's no additive effect according to this research done using just two concussions back to back. But if you hit that animal on day three, kind of right in the middle of that low point recovery, that second concussion will actually create an additive effect where now they have a reduction of ATP down to about 50% of their normal ranges, which is way down here. After one concussion, you have about a 20% reduction in your ATP energy levels. After two concussions back to back, you end up at a 50% reduction in your ATP and about 10% of the animals in that particular study that I'm talking about died as a result of that second injury. So the force was the same. The only difference was the time between injuries. And so if we are to look at recovery as a timeline, I think that's the most important factor. Getting back into the glass jaw phenomenon, the, the human studies that have been done on this, so we said three to six weeks recovery for humans, there was a case series that was done out of Italy and they looked at people having one concussion and then having multiple concussions and so they had these athletes that were supposed to stay out of sports for four weeks while the study was underway. Six of the athletes decided they didn't want to stay out of sports and so they went back early and so they ended up getting another concussion during that period and so after the first concussion the symptom uh, duration was like three, four, five, six days. You're a typical concussion recovery for an athlete after the second concussion, the symptoms now went up to 50 days, 60 days until their symptoms actually went away. So you see that there's a massive cumulative effect now because they got hit during their recovery time point. Then, not only that, that trough of energy that typically lasts four to six weeks after one concussion, let's consider this trough to be vulnerability to an injury. So that if you get hit in this trough, even if it's a small hit, you could get another concussion and that concussion can be additive, drop your energy levels way, way, way down, potentially to a fatal standpoint, but also now it takes you a lot longer to get back up to your full energy levels. So after one concussion, they found that it was about four to six weeks. After two concussions where it was in the low point where you got your second concussion, the recovery time period now jumped from instead of four to six weeks, it jumped to three to four months, 90 to 120 days it took these people to get back up to normal. Now, if you're looking at, you know, let's say boxing, where in a lot of places they've put in like a mandatory time period between fights, which I think is a great step forward because automatically it doesn't matter what your concussion recovery is necessarily because you might feel better the day after the fight. But if you did sustain a concussion during that fight, I think most now are up to like 60 days mandatory between um, bouts, 
which then gets you out of that vulnerable period, right? So that by the next time you're going in, now obviously training and stuff, things can happen in the meantime, but it gets you out of that vulnerable period for the next fight. So let's kind of circle back now and get to the glass jaw. My theory behind the glass jaw, and this is just my theory in going through all of the research that I've read in this particular topic looking at pathophysiology, is not necessarily a genetic component, although that might be a factor, we don't know. My theory is that we know that getting hit drops your energy down and then it gradually restores it. If you get all the way back up here and you have a full recovery and you get hit again, you just go through the same process. So potentially it's not the number of concussions you get, but it's the length of time you get between each concussion that matters most. So now we have a boxer, let's say, you know, back in the day, maybe they're an amateur, maybe they're not taking the required, you know, 60 day time period between each fight. Maybe they got a couple concussions while they were training and nobody said anything and then they go into the ring. Because they're in this low trough, they might actually be recovering from a concussion. So let's say you get, let's say today, I go into the ring. I get a concussion. I then take, let's say, a week off. So I'm still in my four to six week trough of being vulnerable to the injury. Let's say I take a week off, go back to training. Well, now I'm still susceptible. I might feel fine symptomatically, but then boom, I get hit again, even just a little tap on the jaw. I start getting onset of symptoms again. Now I have a second concussion during my vulnerable window. Well, now my energy levels drop way, way, way down, let's say to 50% of what they were normally, now my brain's really susceptible. Not only that, to get back up to full recovery is now potentially three to four months. So now any time during that three to four months, even if I get hit slightly, I can get another concussion. And now my vulnerability now, let's say, goes from three to four months to now, who knows, maybe it's six to eight months now of vulnerable period. So my theory on this glass jaw phenomenon, as well as these football players that start getting concussed easier and easier and easier, I don't think comes down to concussion. I don't think it comes down to having one concussion. I don't think it necessarily comes down to genetics, although it might. What I think is happening is that people are getting concussed, not fully recovering, getting concussed again, not fully recovering, and then it just gets easier and easier and easier to get those concussions time and time again. So you got a boxer that now gets into the ring and a little tap knocks them out. They have the glass jaw, right? Now is that genetic? Like I said, I don't know. My theory is that it's this cumulative thing happening time and time again where they're not allowing themselves to get back up to that full recovery. And so just small hits, are, are putting them out. Um, and that now gets into the next question, which I think I've pretty much answered already, but once someone has had multiple co concussions, what exactly happens? What changes in the brain make it more sensitive to subsequent impacts of the head to make it more easy to get another concussion? Is it neural sensitivity uh, issue or are there some specific functional slash structural changes that take place to affect the brain's ability to handle impact? So again, there Theories on this are potentially blood flow, maybe there's a little bit of a hypoxic environment and you know, maybe a little bit of vasospasm type scenario and you're not able to regulate blood flow to the brain, get another hit, that, you know, that compounds and then therefore it, it makes it easier to happen. 
if um, or maybe you're in your low state, maybe you didn't recover from the first concussion, um, and now you're you're more susceptible because you've never allowed yourself to get out of that you know state. When you actually look at biomechanical studies, um, let me just back this up actually. When you look at epidemiological studies, when you look at big data, and you look at variables like previous concussions and then risk for subsequent concussions. So there's a big study that was done, I think it was Zemper in 2013. They looked at 7,000, I think, high school football players. And they took that group and they basically asked them before the season, how many of you have had a concussion before? And they had that group over here. And then they said, how many of you have not had a concussion before? And they had that group over here. Then they followed this group of football players, this 7,000 football players, for a period of two years. And they just recorded who got concussed versus who didn't get concussed. And what they found was the group that had had a previous concussion was actually six times more likely to get a concussion than the group that reported that they had never had a concussion before. But there's other variables that weren't necessarily taken into consideration, like style of play, right? Were these players actually more susceptible to getting a concussion because of some underlying genetic issue? Or was it, you know, due to this maybe glass jaw type phenomenon? Or was it because they actually played a position that was higher in concussion risk than any other position. Let's say the people that had had a previous concussion before were all linebackers, running backs, and wide receivers, cornerbacks. These are the high-speed positions that are likely to get concussed. And so they're more likely to get concussed based on the nature of their position, not necessarily anything else. Or maybe they their style of play, maybe they're more aggressive. Maybe they're the type to go into, you know, let's say they're shooting a gap playing football and they're the ones to put their head down and just barrel through. Whereas some of the other players that had no history of concussion are more likely to keep their head up, take a look and try to avoid contact. You have style of play that, that factors into this stuff. So I think that study has a lot of flaws, but it gets quoted everywhere. And now the general kind of consensus in you know, everyone's opinion is that if you've had a concussion before, you're more likely to have another one. But we have to look at why that might be. Is it style of play? Is it a genetic factor? Is it the fact that they haven't recovered from previous injuries and now they're more susceptible? Um, there's all these things that, that tie into it. Now, getting back into it. There's been biomechanical studies done, and actually there was one done um, at the in Ottawa, uh, and it was uh, Hoshizaki's group from Ottawa, and they look at a lot of biomechanical stuff. And what they did was they reconstructed injuries, concussion injuries that happened due to falling. And because falling, you can control the variables, right? You can't control the variables after the fact of a, of a head-on collision because you don't know the size of the players, how fast they were going, how fast they hit, what the angles were, all this stuff. But on a fall, you can look at, here's your general mass, here's the height you fell from, here's gravity, here's likely to be the impact force you know, that you sustained. And so they looked at patients with, and they were pediatric patients uh, in a fall scenario. And what they found, and what they looked at, what they wanted to look at was were patients that reported a previous history of concussion um, getting concussed with less force than those that were reporting no previous history of concussion. So they were looking at 
is there actually more susceptibility here from a biomechanics standpoint, from a force standpoint? And what they found was no. There was absolutely no difference in the concussion kind of threshold for patients that had had a previous concussion or not had a previous concussion. And so when the question is, you know, when someone's had multiple concussions, what makes them more susceptible to having future concussions? Well, we don't even really know if they are more susceptible, right? And like I said, there's too many variables in the mix. There's a few theories looking at a physiologic mechanism. Like I said, blood flow, you know, ATP deficit, uh, microstructural damage, that type of stuff. But we, there's nothing really conclusive there. Uh, but when you actually look at, let's say, the biomechanical research, we really, it's kind of mixed. Uh, when you look at the epidemiological research, that's really what leads us to believe that you know, there is an increased risk for people if they've had one before, but um, the reality of it is there's a lot more to that question um, than, than, we, than we actually know. And so we have to look at all the things, all the variables, take them into consideration. Um, yeah, so that's my, those are my answers for those ones. Any questions come in? Yeah, we have a question about um, is the recovery time different for teenagers? through Facebook. Um, again, this is one of those ones where they used to say that being under you know a certain age, like being in a pediatric you know setting under the age of 18, made you more likely to have a prolonged recovery. Um, and because of that, and also we think that because kids' brains aren't fully developed um, yet, there, there's theory that maybe because of reduced myelin, so myelin is a fat cell that goes around the, the brain cells and it kind of insulates them and makes them a little bit more resilient to, you know, the trauma that would be experienced in a concussion. Kids don't have um, as much myelin in their brain and so they think that kids might be more susceptible and that may be why they're taking longer to recover than, than adults. But again, then it, you have to take a look at, well, we're always more cautious with kids anyway and so when you look at you know these big data studies where they go well kids on average take longer to recover than adults that's true from a statistical standpoint but when you actually look at it some of the studies have found that it's only about a day or two difference so it, you know the answer is uh, yes we think that kids do take longer the degree to which they take longer was still kind of you know questionable um, reasons why they might take longer we don't know and but it also could be this self-fulfilling prophecy because we think kids are more susceptible because we, we think it's more dangerous for kids to get concussions because of their brain development perhaps the people that are treating these kids and rightly so are just taking their time with these kids which then on paper shows a more protracted or prolonged recovery and so um, I think the short answer is yes, the long answer is, you know, probably even more winded than what I just made it, but yeah. And then last question, what are your thoughts on NeuroShield? Uh, that's the Bauer caller. Um, so again, from an evidence standpoint, what Bauer, what the NeuroShield uh, does, it was actually called the Q caller, and it was developed uh, in, I think, Cincinnati, I think it was the University of Cincinnati or Cleveland or something, um, something fairly close to us anyway, I remember. But they've done um, studies looking at it in, in a few teams, right? So they've done some hockey teams and they've done some football teams. And then 
they put this collar on half the players and then they left it off half the players. And for those that don't know, basically what it is is a collar that goes around the neck and compresses on the jugular vein. So it puts a mild compression on the jugular vein and the, the idea is that if you reduce the venous flow out of the brain, you're going to build up a back pressure inside the head. So there's going to be an increased pressure in the vasculature in the head, which then causes more cerebral spinal fluid to form, potentially coating and protecting the brain inside the skull. It's an interesting concept and they've done it in mice and this is where it kind of came from is they've done studies in mice to show that it actually reduces um, trauma to the brain during during impact so they've now applied this to humans the thing is it's never been studied for concussion if you read the fine print on the product itself it says it reduces the structural uh, or it, Im it improves the structural integrity of the brain in contact sports or something like that. But it, they'll never use the word concussion because it's actually not approved for that reason. Um, and that's because the research that's been done has never actually looked at it in terms of concussion prevention. So the studies that have been done, they took it and put it on football players, they put it on hockey players, put the collar on, and then half the team didn't put the collar on and they put them through an image sequence called diffusion tensor imaging and diffusion tensor imaging looks at the flow of water molecules along axons and within the brain so it can tell you know if there's you know if the water is flowing in a certain direction that means that it's contained by the axon it means the axon is intact if the water starts flowing perpendicular to an axon it indicates maybe there's been some damage to that axon and the water is now leaking out of it so the thing with DTI or diffusion tensor imaging is we don't know what the hell we're looking at. So this is a brand new imaging sequence and they found DTI changes in people with low socioeconomic status. They found DTI changes in people with anxiety. They found DTI changes in people with um, post-traumatic stress disorder with no history of head trauma whatsoever. So we're looking at these DTI findings. We don't know what the hell they mean. So I'm going to preface it with that. So we don't even know what we're looking at with DTI. What they did with these with these teams is they put the D, they put these athletes through the DTI, got their preseason scans, gave half the group the neck collar, half the group didn't have the neck collar, and then they ran them through a season. At the end of the season, they then put them all back into the DTI finding, and what they found was the group that wasn't wearing the collar had significant changes on their DTI findings, meaning that potentially all the little hits they got over the season created a little bit of damage in there and now we're seeing findings on diffusion tensor imaging. Then the group that was wearing the collar had less changes than the group that wasn't wearing the collar. So that's where the idea comes that the collar can like protect the structural integrity of the brain, uh, something. I, don't, I can't remember what the phrase is that they use, but you can look it up. Um, but the reality of it is the outcome measure that's being used in those studies I think is still questionable for the way that it was being used. I think the idea and the concept is interesting. I think that we know for sure that helmets as they are now are not going to be the way to go. I think that protecting, trying to protect the outside of the head when you're really trying to protect what's inside the skull. I mean you can wrap the head in whatever you want and as soon as that hit happens and the head whips back and forth that brain is sloshing around inside the skull. 
looking at something, looking away from the head, I think is the answer. I think looking to improve stick, stiffness of the neck, I think is an important um, idea. But then looking at it, taking just thinking outside the box a little bit and looking at something this way where you're actually you know, trying to protect the brain inside the skull. Um, I think it, I think it's interesting, but I think we haven't studied it for concussions yet, and uh, so the jury still out on that. All right, that's it for this episode, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.